1: Sometimes we need a career change. Doing the same job, working for the same boss every day for a number of years can get tiresome, especially if that boss doesn't have our best interests at heart. We get burned out and the job we've loved all that time no longer fulfills us the way it used to. Except Belgium's Sisters of the Order of Poor Claire did love their job. They were nuns living simple, sheltered lives full of prayer and joy. But when one of their own put that simple life in jeopardy, they jumped into action in a way nobody ever expected. The Poor Clares, as they were sometimes called, were formed in 1212 by Clare of Assisi. She had been born in Italy to a wealthy family, but gave it all up when she was 17 to follow St. Francis and his teachings. She became a nun and swore herself to a life of extreme poverty. Clare was eventually joined by her mother and two sisters, along with several other rich women from Florence, Soon, Claire had her own order, and she put down some pretty strict rules for everyone to follow. They weren't allowed to own any property, nor could they have much money. Anything they owned was to be given to them by the people in their community. Now, over the years, the poor Claire's grew in number and spread out across Europe and the Americas, including Belgium. There, in the city of Bruges, there was a 600-year-old convent that had been home to a group of Claire's. They loved it there and kept mostly to themselves— not interacting much with the people on the outside. At least, not until Ronnie Crabb showed up on their doorstep. Crab came to them in 1985, working as a groundskeeper and a jack-of-all-trades around the convent. If the nuns needed to be driven somewhere, they called on Ronnie. Something broken needed fixed? There was Ronnie. Grass had to be cut? You guessed it. Ronnie. Now, although he wasn't a woman, a nun, or a devout member of their order, the Clares took a liking to Crabb. He started giving them small tastes of the outside world, and in return, they put him in charge of their financial holdings. Things ran smoothly for the next three years until they overheard some unsettling news. They were going to lose their convent. But it wasn't Ronnie's fault. It was the bishop's. You see, the bishop wanted to separate the Clares, placing each of them in different churches while he sold off the art and artifacts within the convent. We're talking about hundreds of years worth of holy relics. As for the building itself, it would also be sold off and probably demolished so that private buyers could use the land. So, not wanting to lose their home and their bond, the sisters took matters into their own hands. They found out that they actually had more rights than they'd known about. The existing bylaws allowed them to change the rules of ownership without the diocese's involvement. So, the nuns quickly took over complete ownership of the convent. They also amended the bylaws stating that their assets would go to the church when they died. Now, their families would be compensated instead. From there, the Clares, with Ronnie Crab's help, started selling off whatever they could, including art and holy relics. The bishop found out what the sisters were doing, and he met with the mother's superior, Sister Anna. He wanted to salvage the situation and keep them from selling the convent, too. The bishop promised her that the church would take care of all of them and give them everything they needed for the rest of their lives. Unfortunately for him, though, he'd already missed the boat. The sisters had already sold the convent to a series of textile companies for nearly $1.5 million. The bishop flipped. He called the authorities and tried to have the Clares arrested for stealing from the church, except they hadn't stolen from the church. They had done their due diligence and had every right to sell their own convent. The Claires used the money to buy a fixer-upper of a castle in the south of France. And those old-timey rules of extreme poverty and no possessions that they'd been following, well, those went out the window too. The poor Claires bought a Cadillac, half a dozen Mercedes sedans, and a fully stocked limousine with a sticker price of over $100,000. They also chartered an ambulance to bring Sister Agnes, the oldest of their order, up to their new home. Once they reached the castle, the sisters dropped some more cash on 11 racehorses and lived out the next several weeks in the lap of luxury. Well, sort of. You see the castle didn't have heat or running water, and Ronnie Crab turned out to be not such a great friend after all. While the sisters had been selling off church property, he was pocketing millions of dollars for himself. Crab was eventually arrested, spending over a month in prison as he awaited his trial until he was mysteriously released. The charges, you see, had been dropped. The sale of the convent was also voided, and the church regained control of everything. And as for the Clares, they were rewarded with a permanent stay in a retirement home for the rest of their lives. Things might not have ended the way they'd hoped, but the poor Clares did pull off an Ocean's Eleven-style heist of their own convent from right under the bishop's nose, at least for a while. And through it all, they'd done what any sister would have done, They kept the faith. It's got standard third-row seating and available dual-wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It seems like there's a medicine for everything these days. Dealing with a bout of indigestion? Got a weird rash? There are treatments for those. There's even a medicine to help people with catard's Delusion, a disorder that makes those afflicted think that they are dead and rotting. But before there was a pill or a cream or an injection for every little ailment, there was Silphium. Silphium was a miracle drug. Among its many applications, it was used to season meals, fed to livestock to plumpen them up, to increase one's libido, and was even used as a contraceptive. But perhaps most commonly, silphium was deemed a cure-all, a wonder drug that was taken to alleviate everything from the sniffles and headaches to hernias and tumors. Anytime someone asked, does this look infected? The answer would inevitably be, just take some sylvium." It was also relied on to jumpstart menstruation. Just stir it up with a little pepper, a dash of myrrh, and some wine. Now, miracle products that promised to cure everything under the sun became commonplace throughout the 1800s. They were branded as snake oil solutions and were mostly chock full of addictive drugs like cocaine and opium. But not Silphium. It wasn't a snake oil. At least, not to the likes of Julius Caesar, who depended on it so much he kept 1,500 pounds of it in his treasury. You see, Silphium was nothing more than a plant. And a popular one at that. According to legend, Silphium started popping up after a black rain had fallen over the city of Cyrene on Libya's northern coast more than 2,000 years ago. It was identified by its dense blackened roots covered in bark as well as its yellow-green leaves on top. Its stalk was hollow, and it was covered in tiny yellow flowers. When it wasn't being mashed up into medicinal paste or sprinkled like salt over a dish, it was being enjoyed as a meal unto itself. The stalks were often cooked, either over a flame or in a pot of boiling water, before being crunched on. Every part of the sylphium plant was utilized for something, from its roots, which could be dipped in vinegar and eaten raw, to its flowers, which were turned into aromatic perfumes. Looking to spice up your salad? Just sprinkle on a dried form of its sap to boost its flavor. Greece and Rome came to use so much of the plant that it put Cyrene on the map. Sylphium became one of their main exports and started appearing on the city's currency. It was literally worth its weight in gold. But of course, when someone in power gets a taste of something good, they want to control it for themselves. Folks like Emperor Augustus of Rome. He ordered that every last plant, seed, and byproduct be sent to him as tribute. But still, its use continued to spread. Writers and singers waxed poetic about it, and its name appeared in various written works. Pliny the Elder wrote about it a lot in his 10-volume Naturalis Historia. So what happened to all that sylphium? Well, the long story short is, it's extinct. But the reasons why are numerous. For one, it was used for everything. The fact that we don't have it today is primarily because all of it was eaten, ground up, shredded, and ingested thousands of years ago. It was also believed that farmers would let their cattle and sheep graze on it freely, but never planted more. Which brings us to the other problem with Silphium. It was almost impossible to cultivate manually as the ancient Greeks discovered when they tried to grow it on their own land, and failed. Whatever the reason, sylphium is no more, but the image of it still exists today throughout culture. Just take a look at any greeting card or decoration on Valentine's Day. The sylphium seed, as depicted on coins from ancient Cyrene, was shown as a scalloped V-shape that came to a point at its base. Given sylphium's use and lovemaking, either before or after, depending on the need, it became a symbol of love and lust. The ancients saw it as just a seed, but we know it today as a way to tell someone how we feel. That symbol? The heart. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com.